turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we're continuing our conversation from last week. For the time being, so uh, specifically from, from verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from, from sexual immorality. Um, and then specifically, verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Um, and we, we kind of spent a little bit of time uh, referring to that that uh, word that may be unfamiliar to, to many of us. Uh, maybe last week was the first time you heard that, called concupiscence, which... Um, Interestingly, and maybe not surprisingly, is, is not in many of the uh, more current translations. But it is found in the King James Version of 1611, okay, the word concupiscence. And for us in our day, uh, that word may, may have uh, seemed to have little significance, but, uh, but actually it is, it is quite foundational. And, and one of the things that we... Um, heard last week is uh, how the Catholics responded with their confutation against the Augsburg Confession that was given by uh, the Reformers. Okay, So just uh, by way of recap, I'll, I'll read this very briefly. At least what, what is said concerning uh, concupiscence from the Augsburg Confession. Our churches teach that since the fall of Adam... All who are naturally born are born with sin. Now, this is, of course, after the fall. So what was read before Genesis 1, for example, in the image of God, he created the male and female. That was prior to the fall. And it was later on in Genesis 5, of course, with the genealogy of Adam, that we find that Seth was born not in the image of God, but in the image of his father. After he fell from from grace, so to speak. All right. So, uh, are born naturally born with sin, and as a as a reference they give here, Psalm 51. That is without the fear of God. So, in other words, since the fall, prior to conversion, um, those who are naturally born, reflective of John 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. According to our Lutheran confessions. Uh, those who are naturally born, and all of us are naturally born, there's only but one who is not naturally born, but who is yet conceived by the Holy Spirit, born you know, through, the, through the womb of his, uh, of his virgin mother. They are, uh, those who are naturally born are naturally born uh, with sin, that is, without the fear of God, without trust in God, and without the inclination, or with, with the inclination to sin, which the confessors called concupiscence. Concupiscence is a disease and original vice that is truly sin. It damns and brings eternal death on those who are not born anew through baptism in the Holy Spirit, John 3, 5. Our churches condemn the Pelagians and others who deny the original depravity that original depravity is sin, thus obscuring the glory of Christ's merit and benefits. Pelagians argue that a person can be justified before God by his own strength and reason. 
And we might put in parentheses also by those who think that they can, of themselves, in their natural state, prior to conversion, choose or believe in Christ. That's what Pelagianism and also semi-Pelagianism deal with. And, and this is a recurring issue within the church, just as, uh, uh, just as it was faced then, in the 16th century, and prior to that, so also still today. I mean, how many, I don't know, I, I haven't done any study of this, and, and so this is kind of speculative, uh, but how many, how many Christian groups actually believe that you can, that a sinner can make a choice to believe God? Most. Yeah, which is really a, a, dare I say, a regurgitation or a continuation of this heresy. Um, because what it really gets down to is the extent of man's depravity. How bad are things? And the Catholic Church, remember, responded by way of review. Um, in the computation, they say, let's see, uh, the declaration of the article that original sin is that men are born without the fear of God, which is what the confession states, and without trust in God. And, and Luther draws attention to this. Remember that the meaning to the first commandment, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Um, Luther comments, rightly so, scripturally so, uh, that man born in his natural state is without fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Who does man care about himself? Or, I give it away. Who does man care about? Himself. Himself, right? So and the, this idea, too, is, okay, you, you know, in order to be saved, you've got to believe, right? To save yourself. Um, but what's interesting, that's still kind of <coughs> me-centered, isn't it? You know? A few years ago, they had a guest speaker come into our community, and... Uh, he had some kind of presentation on you know, dealing with the problems of the world from the Bible and from psychology and blah, blah, blah. I don't remember all the cycle battle that went with the, yeah. you know, the, the, the PR. Right. But uh, curiously enough, I decided to go. Margaret went with me, and so she's kind of a witness. Margaret's not here right now. But anyway. <laughs> I'll uh, ask her later. I'll ask her. You can check with her later. Right, yeah. Make yeah. it known. Fact check. But I sat, sat there and listened, and actually, a lot of the stuff that he said sounded really pretty good. And yeah. he kind of really came through with the concept of sin and grace and all of this stuff that sounded, you know, very biblical and confessionally sounded pretty solid. And then, near the end, he interjected this whole concept. All we have to do is, you know, allow Jesus into our heart or ask Jesus for this or that, so forth. So we went into Q&A and <laughs> raised my hand and helped kind of end the conversation. Yeah. I said, how is it that what you just said near the end about you know, making the decision for Christ, how is that not semi-Palatianism? Mm -hmm. And he couldn't give me an answer, and the discussion came to a halt. So what is, did he know, do you think, what semi-Palatianism? I think he did. Okay. He had that look on his face, okay. and it, it, he kind of gave a little bit of a garbled answer of sorts, okay. but it was very unsatisfying. And yeah. I doubt if 90% of the rest of the people in that group, you know, yeah. understood what we had kind of engaged right, in. Right, right. But I kind of wanted to give him something to go home with and think about. Mm -hmm. If he wasn't clear on semi-Pelagianism, maybe he looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and really, yeah, I mean, it, it does, <coughs> I think, get to the question or, or 
you know, um, produce the question, how bad are things? You know, and, and how you answer how bad things are or are not uh, will be reflective in your theology. You know, I, I've said this before, but if, if you don't think things are really bad, then why baptize infants? It kind of goes together, if, you know, and, and so, the, and this is kind of an oddity now that I think about it, because in Roman Catholicism, they do baptize infants. And in various other fellowships that do not have the, the same biblical view and understanding of original sin as the Bible teaches. Which is, which is kind of odd in a way, because we remember we talked about this last week, too, that uh, in the Catholic Church, and Margaret's not here, but uh, you know, others might know this, too. Um, in the Catholic Church, have they changed their teaching concerning what baptism does with reference to original sin only? Because then it's still to your advantage if you're Catholic not to be baptized as a child, but just before you die. Right? I mean, that's... Reasonably, that would seem to make more sense there, according to their theology. Okay, um, but but uh, listen to the, the next part of this. The, the the declaration of the article that original sin uh, is that men are born without the fear of God and without trust in God is to be entirely rejected. It is manifest to every Christian, and I don't know what they mean by Christian here. It's capitalized. Uh, that to be without the fear of God and without trust in God is rather the actual guilt of an adult rather than the, the offense of a recently born infant. Which, uh, and, and I don't know if I made this comment last week. Um, if not, I may have alluded to it. That sounds a lot like what many others teach concerning, you know, well, you're not really sinful until you're at a certain age. To which I think the response was, okay, where is that age in the Bible? And I can't find it. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we have actually Ishmael, he was about 13 when he was circumcised, right? So it must be 13, but what about, well, eight days old is when God commanded that boys be circumcised. And Jesus himself, by the way, was circumcised at eight days old. Yeah. And the Bible verses, verses that say entire families were baptized. Didn't put an age limit on it. No, yeah, and, and the all nations... Um, is, is that only for certain people? I mean, that, that all is pretty encompassing. Right? Um, but uh, re reflecting on that, I mean, that's this is, you know, Paul is, is, is speaking about this uh, with reference to not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who, guess what, they don't know God. Um, and, and that's something I, I think, you know, we, we, we've kind of talked about this here and there. I'll say it again. And that is that though many will use the name God, or they'll say God, that doesn't mean that they're Christian. That doesn't mean that they're they're believers. Um, I, I, I know of quite a few who use the name God in various ways, but they're not Christian because they speak of God wrongfully. Um, that has to do with the second commandment, by the way. Right? Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Um, and then also we have the... Uh, um, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Tell me out here. Hallowed be thy name. Yeah. You know, um, that that says it pretty much there. So, you know, what, again, uh, you know, uh, many televangelists, many of those on TV, 
they really don't know what they're talking about. They know what sounds good, and I, I was I was kind of channel surfing, and you know Joel Austin was there um, on TV, <laughs> and usually I can only stand like a few, if even a few minutes. Um, but you know I, I was I was listening, and I was thinking once again this guy is easy to listen to. Yeah. He tells so many like relatable stories, but what do they have to do with scripture? You know what do they have to do with repentance? Of real sin, not not just repentance. And I'm picking on Joel Austin because because I heard him, but um, you know others do this too. They they speak of sin in such a way that you know it's it's kind of a bad mind, or maybe you're just incorrect in your thoughts. You're not positive enough. So what you just have to do is change your mind. You know you, you look at the, the same thing, and you know is the glass you know it's kind of like uh, is the is the glass half full or half empty? You know, uh, what you got to be, actually, maybe I could be, I, I won't be a preacher like that. Um, <laughs> but what you got to be is more optimistic, right? I mean, that that's really the gospel according to Austin and, and so many others. In the light of Romans, you can't be optimistic. No, well, and, and optimistic, I mean, that, that begs the question, I think, optimistic about what, right? I mean, so so even, even here with Paul... In uh, in First Thessalonians four, you know, not like not in the passion of lust, not in concupiscence like the Gentiles who do not know God, not in sin, you know, lustful desires which actually are sin, but not like the Gentiles who do not know God. Well, how does one get to know God? Right? I mean, hearing the word. Not not all of a sudden. Okay, I'm going to turn the switch on, the God switch, and start believing all of a sudden myself. Um, but rather, you know, by means of God's word. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, and hearing by the word of Christ. And, uh, you know, the writer to the Hebrews says, you know, you know, in, in terms of speaking the word and the like, the word that they heard was not mixed with faith by those who heard it. You know, and faith, the Bible teaches, is a gift of God. Okay, I wanted to read this as well. This is um, an introduction to uh, the apology in part. So, so um, just historically, in 15, 1530, when the Augsburg Confession was given, uh, the, the Lutheran princes gave this uh, confession before Emperor Charles V as a testimony, as a statement of their faith. And in, in this testimony, in this confession of faith, the Augsburg Confession, what they did is they stated what they believed, taught, and confessed, and they also they, they also stated what they rejected and denied. Okay, and there's there's two sections in this Augsburg Confession. Um, one is where there's you know more or less I, I guess you know agreement, but they're clarifying uh, because what so hap so often happens and and today you know we we know this from experience too. Uh, Missouri Synod and and you know Wisconsin Synod too. Um, are kind of lumped many times together with ELCA. The Catholic Church was kind of doing the same thing with Lutherans and other Protestants, other reformers, even the radical reformers, those who believe that God worked apart from his word by means of the spirit immediately, or immediately, mm. right? Not through means. Um, so, you know, the Catholics were making accusations against the Lutherans, uh, which were not true. 
So this was an opportunity, the Augsburg Confession, then, as well as confessing the faith today, gives opportunity then to clarify. Um, no, we are not like those. You know, here's what the Bible says, this we believe, teach, and confess, you know, kind of thing. Um, so they were trying to distinguish themselves from what, you know, the Catholics taught wrongfully, contrary to the word, and they were also wanting to distinguish themselves from the radical reformers and others who also taught wrongfully, uh, contrary to the word. You know, here's what we really teach, guys. Don't lump us with them. And we are not in full agreement with you. But we are, we do have some things in common. All right? So um, getting, so then uh, the confutation was given by the Catholics, and that eventually, I forget, I, I, I want to say it took several months for them to get in hand the written document from the Catholics. They didn't give it to them. Um, eventually they were able to uh, receive it, you know, and then they gave a response in the apology, and this is uh, in part the uh, the explanation or the introduction to to that article. By the 16th century, Roman theologians had come to view original sin merely as a weakness in human nature. In other words, not sin. The scriptures, however, teach that original sin is the absence of original righteousness and the root cause of all sinful thoughts, words, and deeds. Okay, so you're sinners even before you actually commit sin or before you omit doing what you should be doing, right? So remember those, uh, those phrases, sin of commission, sin of omission. Um, what, we, what we confess, uh, what we've been confessing in, um, in divine service setting one and then also in setting two, if we say we have no sin, remember those words from John 1, uh, but there's also that place, you know, I have sinned in my thought, word, and deed. In other words, our entire being. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, by what we've done, by what we haven't done. All right? So uh, the absence of original right, righteousness and the root cause of all sinful, thought, sin, sinful thoughts, words, and deeds. Original sin damns a person to hell, the Bible asserts, so clear definitions were needed. Rome... The, the Catholic Church sought some way to preserve mankind's ability to choose God's grace and cooperate with it. A, again, how different is Protestantism in places than Catholicism? I would suggest not very. Because that sounds very similar to Protestantism, or what, what many call Protestantism. The ability to choose God's grace and cooperate with it. Um, all we need, the Catholics basically teach, is help. Free will. Well, and, and, and you know, I, I think, wouldn't the Catholics also say that, that God gives grace that we might choose? Right? You know, so, and, and, and then also the grace given in the sacraments to, you know, continue our progression that we will never completely finish until after purgatory, or at the end of purgatory. Right? So, again, the entire sacramental system. It regarded concupiscence, the powerfully strong tendency in us to sin, and this is the Catholics, not as sin, but as mere tinder, which could ignite into sinful behavior. So, in other words, it wasn't sin, but it was kind of a, predispos a predisposition uh, to sin, or led to that. The Bible, as the Lutherans were concerned to prove, also names as sin our inborn tendency to sin. Article 2 of the Apology is essential for understanding what follows in Articles 3 and 4. And um, 
Article 3. Article 3 has to do with the Son of God. So, you know, how one, you know, the, the extent of one's sinfulness then uh, also uh, indicates the extent of the need for God's grace in Christ. Because if you if you don't if you're not completely sinful, do you need a complete Savior? And that that's that's a recurring theme throughout the Augsburg Confession, uh, throughout Lutheran teaching, throughout the Bible. If you don't need a if you don't have if you're not fully sinful, you don't need a full Savior. Which doesn't make a lot of sense because the Bible teaches that Christ died for all sin. Um, and uh, in sin, my mother conceived me. The psalmist says, you know, we, we you know, by way of review, uh, Romans six or Romans three, you know, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You know, um, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You mean also babies sin? Born in sin. They're born into sin. Right. No one is good except God alone. Right. Exactly. So, you know, how one answers these questions then will influence what they say concerning baptism or the Lord's Supper even. Is the Lord's Supper a help? Yes, it is a help. Um, but it's more than that. You know, it, it, it is proper to say that Jesus is an example. But we have to also say that he's more than an example. Because if he's all only the example, he's still not Savior. Right. So, um, you know, continuing with this, um, so with uh, with reference to Article 3 that has to do with the Son of God, and then Article 4 uh, in both the, the uh, Augsburg Confession and the Apology have to do with justification. And justification, of course, objectively states that, that man is, is, uh, is uh, reckoned as uh, righteous and justified before God through faith in his Son, completely, entirely, whole. Okay, and holy, I mean W H O L L Y, right? So how you spell it? Uh, not H O L Y. Completely. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, Son of God and justification are immediately affected by this uh, Article Two on original sin. Melanchthon, who wrote the Apology uh, with uh, and and the Augsburg Confession with uh, with Luther's help and others too, uh, points out that the key comforting truth of God's Word. Um, in Christ, God removes the condemnation of all sin, including concupiscence. He does so by forgiving us our sins through Christ's blood and by applying to us Christ's righteousness, holiness, and innocence. So while in this life sin remains, the Holy Spirit continually brings it under check, beats it down, and kills it, and works within us to increase and strengthen our faith in God and love for our neighbor. Uh, you might recall in Galatians 5, for example, uh, there's this passage where uh, Paul states that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these such there is no law. Notice the fruit of the Spirit. It's not self-derived. So, you know, some say, like, well, I've got to love more. Uh, well, yeah, but it's not you that's creating this. It's God, right? And, and uh, you know, John writes in, in his first letter, chapter 4, and this is love, not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us. And because of his love, therefore, 
And only because of his love, therefore, are we able to love our neighbor, or begin to do so. Though we we are we still wrestle with our sin and struggle with that. Um, so, you know, we we uh, Christians are honest and say, we're not, I mean, truly, we are not perfect. We are not as God would have us be. We continually repent of our sin daily, and we trust in God's forgiveness. And, uh, you know, God strengthens us by means of the sacrament, the Lord's Supper. He, he, he calls to remembrance what he has done in our baptism, whereby uh, we were born anew, washed of our sin, and God continues to forgive us according to his word. And by that forgiveness, we continue to live <laughs> and, uh, and, and to love and to grow. Well, so uh, so we, we looked at that concupiscence. We looked at original sin. Uh, notice uh, verse seven, or actually uh, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Uh, verse six seems to be quite connected to what precedes it, uh, with reference to uh, abstaining from sexual immorality, uh, which I, I think we talked about a little bit last week too. It doesn't start just with the external doing of something, right? It starts in the heart. And, uh, you know, that's why, uh, you know, he says here that you abstain from sexual immorality. Um, he's, in another place, he says, flee youthful lusts. And, and one example of that is scripturally, uh, we might readily think of as Joseph. Remember that account, Joseph and Potiphar's wife? How Potiphar's wife uh, was attracted to Joseph. And uh, she kept basically trying to seduce him, and he kept refusing. And then at one point... Um, they were alone in, in the house, and uh, she grabbed a hold of him, and he he said, "How can I do this this great sin against God?" And he ran he runs away he runs away um, he runs away, and uh, you know she you know while he's running you know she's got a hold of his uh, a piece of his clothes you know and tears off, and then she lies about it afterwards. He gets thrown in prison, and. Joseph is not knowing what's going on in terms of why he's in prison and so on and so forth. We kind of have the bigger picture. Um, that God himself was directing this throughout, even though Joseph himself did not know it, which, you know, is encouragement for us too. We, we don't know all that's going on. Um, but, but I would ask the question, do we really need to? As bad as things are in this world, and, and they seem to be getting worse by the day, um, have you ever had a moment where you just had to turn the TV off? Yeah. You know, um, especially with the current news and, and so on and so forth. And you might say, okay, where is this going? Um, you know, we might even be tempted to say, okay, what is God doing? Um, or not doing. Or permitting, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think of, you know, this may be an opportunity then to, to uh, reflect on Job a little bit. Um, one, one thing about uh, about Job's, the, the, the account of Job in Scripture is we, we have greater insight than Job does, in a sense. Because, uh, and, and let's, let's uh, open your Bibles to Job. Uh, Job comes right before Psalms in the English Bibles. Uh, and I, I say that because, interestingly, Job comes up after Psalms in the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> kind of interesting. Um, but we we have so you know we're going to kind of run through the first uh, you know first two chapters. 
uh, a little bit. Uh, but uh, we, we hear about Job in chapter 1, and then there's this, uh, there, there's this kind of counsel uh, with God, and then Satan is there too. And twice, uh, God asks Satan, uh, have you considered my servant Job? And, uh, I mean, it, it, it's really fascinating. Job has no idea that this is going on. I mean, he's living his life. Um, he's he's uh, offering sacrifices for his kids because they might have sinned, you know, during the week. Yeah. He's in it. We see it as hindsight. And that's always better, I think. Because when you're going through something, you can't see anything. But afterwards, yeah. oh, I see. Yeah. But what, what I'm suggesting, uh, Myra, is, is that you know we have the we have, we have the uh, the behind the stage pass, so to speak. Yes. You know, so if you think of a you know a play kind of thing, not that this is a play, but using that illustration, you know we have the curtain open, you know, and we have this this person Job that that is 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 flourishing, you know, because God has blessed him, you know, with 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 possessions, uh, with children. Um, with what he needs, we have that curtain. The curtain closes and then opens again. And here we have the scene of uh, of God and Satan conversing, and God saying, "Have you considered my servant Job?" Well, yeah, he just believes you because you're protecting him. And then God says, "Okay, you know, do what you know, uh, do what you will with him, but don't touch his life." So what does he do? I mean, he, you know, Satan as permitted by God, basically destroys Job's possessions, his family, and the like. And then uh, his uh, his wife says, you know, curse God and die. You know, and uh, let's see, where, where is that uh, noted? Um, it's after, after the, the, the property was taken... Two verse nine. Yeah, two verse nine. Okay, so so this is after um, God permits Satan, you know, to to attack Job's health. Okay, um, would someone read verse nine? Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Okay, and verse ten also. Ten, but he said unto her. Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Alright, so, uh, you know, th this is after, of course, he, he pretty much lost everything. Um, his, his wife was still with him, but she was calling him, you know, telling him to curse God and die. Um, and and then, then we have his response. Um, you know, about receiving good from God and receiving evil. Now, it was not God directly causing these things to happen, but he certainly permitted these things to happen. All right? Um, and, and, you know, we, we, we kind of have that backstage pass, as I was saying. We, we know this, uh, according to the text. Job doesn't, yeah. This is almost a cross-reference, or Paul, maybe, in a sense, cross-references this, knowingly or subconsciously, about the thorn of the flesh. Yeah. You know, that a messenger of Satan was sent humbling, keeping humble. Yeah. And it's kind of ironic, in a way, that Satan actually yeah. is an agent for strengthening 
our faith. Making, you know, strength out of weakness. Understanding and plugging more so into God's grace. And uh, it's kind of interesting at this point where it says, and all these things Job did not sin with his lips. But he was still a sinner. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and he acknowledges as such. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we have the... Uh, you know, we have this, you know, reference point that Job did not have, but but all throughout the book, you know, Job struggles, certainly with what he's experiencing. Um, and yet, like we, we have the passage, uh, Job 19, for example, from where that beautiful hymn that is often sung at funerals, uh, even Easter, right? I know that my Redeemer lives. In other words, he had such confidence that even with all these things happening, uh, God remains God, uh, but then, but then at the end, you know, uh, towards the end, I, I think chapter 40 uh, to uh, to 41, you know, God reveals to Job that God is God. This is something that Job knew, um, but uh, but it's not proper to question God uh, for what He does, for what He allows, for what He permits, and and, and yet I, I think that's. Very difficult for us because we want to have a, an explanation. We want to have a reason, you know, for things. And I, I think we're also quite hesitant uh, to say that God allows this or God does this. Yeah. I think when we ask why something happened, I think sometimes we're not really looking for a reason, but we're looking to reverse it. That that's I, I think that's one one variable. Um, another I, I think is is perhaps we want to try to understand it, but some things just can't be understood either. Mm-hmm. So the footnote. I think Job's biggest struggle in the 42 chapters, you know, looking at the whole picture, his mm-hmm. biggest struggle is with self righteousness, because that's ultimately what he repents of in the end. He does mm-hmm. repent. What does he repent of? Well, he starts justifying himself. Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything to deserve this. And his friends keep pushing his buttons mm-hmm. to finally yeah. get to the core mm-hmm. of what is really a challenge to his faith, and that's his own self-righteousness. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, it takes 42 chapters for him to get it, but that's <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it's you know it almost seems like in in a way you know how you uh, kind of overcompensate. So like you're driving, you know, and you start swerving, and you know, if you don't yeah. think about it, you just overcompensate, right? Yeah. Um, and in a similar fashion, I mean, we theologically this happens, you know, to the nth degree. Like I know the formula of Concord, you had one side saying this, and then, well, that's not true, you know, entirely, you know, and and it's not necessarily that it, it's not that extensive as a uh, as an opposite. Um, and and what you know so so in Job specifically his three friends were all saying basically Job did something wrong to deserve this you know it kind of reminds me of John nine where we have uh, where we have the man who was born blind from birth and the disciples ask who sinned this man or his parents that he was born this way mm-hmm. and Jesus says neither right uh, but Job's friends assume that Job deserved this. And they were trying to get Job to confess, I guess, to them, which is kind of an oddity. Well, in a way, they're guilty of self-righteousness, too, because they're afraid that if this happened to righteous Job, then they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But if they yeah. can pin something on Job, 
right. and that gets them off the hook. Yeah. So right. you know, Job's reaction to his friends, you know, um, in, in some sense was correct, but then he went a little overboard. Right. And none of them seem to understand that they're sinners. None of them seem to really understand that they deserve everything Job got and more. Yeah. But they all repent in the end. Yeah. I mean, it, it is striking too, because even even today we, you know, um, the this is from Luke 13. You know, I, I probably mentioned this uh, at least once, if not more, before. But you know, the some men came to Jesus, some uh, some Jews came to Jesus and uh, asked him about uh, those Jews who died in the temple, you know, by Pilate mixing their blood. And and um, if if you're interested. Uh, Go to Luke 13 to see the account. Because I, I, I think this is, uh, this, uh, you know, can be a helpful framework, you know, for, for seeing what we see today and what we're experiencing too. Uh, beginning at verse 1, in just that short section there, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. In other words, you know, he, he killed them, you know, as they sacrificed. That's kind of the idea. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Jesus says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Of those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Again, he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Um, you know, one of the, we might not have all the answers. And we might understand in part here, part there, um, you know, the state of affairs of, of particularly our nation and where it, where it seems to be going, where it may not be going, whatever. Um, but, but each of these circumstances that we encounter or you know, when we hear of like earthquakes and floods and so on and so forth, um, oftentimes our, our first reaction is, oh, for them, right? You know, and, and certainly how can we help them and, and the like? Um, but I, I sometimes wonder like how much or how often Christians will look at that and, and, and then see themselves to be deserving of those things. You know, oh, look how bad Job had it. Um, Poor Job. Um, and, and, you know, as this is Holy Week, I, I think there's that temptation by many to look at the cross of Christ and, and to, uh, you know, visualize Jesus Christ on the cross and say, poor Jesus. Uh, but only saying poor Jesus, that's not a faith. You know, seeing a man die on a tree um, is not yet fully a faith. Uh, that Jesus died, he died, yes, but he died for me. So it's not just poor Jesus, do we say poor me? Because that should be me on that, on that cross. And he did that for me out of love. Not because he had to, but he willingly gave his life as a sacrifice to save me from my sins. And, uh, you know, I, I just kind of wonder how many groups, maybe I shouldn't have asked that question, but... Uh, but you know, how do how do Christians generally see the cross? You know, do do they see it as Jesus Christ is on the cross for me? I deserve to be there. I deserve these things. 
that he, he was in the light. So, but 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 you know the, these events that that uh, you know keep uh, we, we we keep becoming more aware of in our day, and, and I, I, I guess I want to say the unreasonable, this the, the illogical movements being made by many in our nation. Uh, the uh, the redefinition of terms, the the, the 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 different uses of things being said, um, you know, it, it's enough to cause a great deal of confusion, and to say, to ask the question, God, why don't you do something about it? I would say He is, uh, but but not according to what we think He should be doing. You know, um, you know, Christians, you know, uh, we. You know, reflecting on uh, on the Psalms, for example, and the prophets. You know, uh, I was reflecting on this the other day. You know, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? You know, from Psalm two, for example. Um, yes, they will they will go about doing what they're doing, but but their doing has an end. Now we don't know when that will be. Um, but uh, as, as someone had said very very uh, very clearly, God is still in control. God is the one guiding. God is the one, you know. Even if God is allow is you know, as, even as God is allowing or permitting these things to be, He will never forsake His people. And and what's by the way, what's the worst thing that can ever happen to a Christian? Turn your back on God. Yeah. Wait, you mean it's not death? Say that again. It's not death. No. It's not Christ. Christ. Not live his game. To die is gain. To live is Christ. Yeah. I, I ask that you know, to, you know, just because you know, many many believe, and, and maybe even some Christians believe that the, the worst thing that can happen is that we die. Mm-hmm. It's not. To lose one's faith, though, means eternal death. And and that's uh, that's that's of greater significance, you know, and and that's. I, I think, you know, we, we see this, uh, you know, multidimensional, perhaps, you know, what we're facing today, but but, uh, but I, I think it's, for Christians to see what's going on today is really an attack of faith. Anti-Godism. You know, I mean, that's, you know, for the Christian, it's not just surface level stuff. This is, it goes beyond that. And, and this is this is where it's always been. And I, I you know... I, I I am in a way thankful, you know, for for what has happened in the past because I, I think you know some of the, the the fogginess on the eyes, you know, I'm thinking of like, um, remember Saul, who was blind and scales came from his eyes. I think in part anyway, some scales are falling off the eyes and we're seeing things as they really are, rather than sugarcoating, you know, some of these things. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's always been this way. In the church, there's always this struggle for for of, of life and death. Okay, Marilyn, and then Charlie. You want to hear? The uh, you. there was a news article from a Marine who said that in training, they're they're telling that Catholics well, and evangelicals are extremist groups. Yeah. Catholics need, and evangelists. It need to be weeded out. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing we, we're not considered either, right? It was 
Pardon so me? We're not considered either. We're <laughs> by Catholics or by evangelicals. Well, <laughs> but we're both, actually. Yeah, they kind of consider we're evangelicals. Yeah. Yeah. It's not but that's amazing. Yeah. And we just let it and happen. Yeah. Special Operations Command just hired a uh, Trump hater to be there. Diversity officer. Oh, don't say diversity officer. That gets I him all upset. Today. <laughs> you should have been here. Yeah, he went on his. I told him how to eat the cabbage. <laughs> but this is this is kind of. I mean, it, it's you know the the. The odd thing is, I mean, I, I didn't live through, you know, the, the, the 40s and, you know, 50s. Um, I, I think somebody was, was was saying this the other day, um, you know, that, uh, or at least we were discussing, I was discussing with someone else about this, but, like, you know, the, sometimes the idea is that, that, you know, like, I guess it's more than 40 years ago, right? It would be like 60 years ago or 70 years ago where... You know, people were going to church, and you know, churches were full and, and everything. Um, but you know, they still had homosexuality. They still had adultery. It was just, it was kind of hidden. Now everything is kind of more out in the open. And approved. And approved. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and before it was, you know, there's a um, an author. Um, he's uh, he wrote a book. He was a Lutheran. Uh, Charles Porterfield Krauss, the Conservative Reformation, and he talks about. You know the progression of liberality or liberalness. That's maybe not the right term, um, but uh, you know how false doctrine kind of finds its way into the church, which I think is kind of a way of explaining also with reference to culture. You know, first there's kind of an introduction of this thing, and then um, tolerance, and then acceptance, and then promotion. Except that went on in Rome and. In oh yeah, it's it's everywhere. And with the Roman, right? You know, I mean, it's not anything new, and it no, was worse actually yeah. in the time of well, mm -hmm. probably before the Caesars, but during the Caesars and after right. that, and those yeah. guys were so uh, well, I'll call them barbarians, although they weren't barbarian in the. Oh, did you know that that's that that's that's uh, wrong speech now? I think barbarian. I, I just came across even. I think it was at Wheaton College. Um, if you remember, I forget the date. I, I'm thinking it was probably the, the when was it the between the 40s and, and 60s? I think when there was a group of uh, missionaries that went to um, I want to say a I want to say a South American country of this uh, Ihu. Does that sound? I don't know if that's the right that the, the right tribal name. I think it starts with an A though. That, but but these people were cannibals, and many had gone before to try to, to you know as missionaries to preach the gospel to them. And uh, there were four, apparently uh, four missionaries that were eventually sent to this place, and uh, you know they they made uh, friendly contact at first, but then they were massacred. You know they were killed. You know, by this tribe, and and I mention this because I, I just came across this at Wheaton College. There was a plaque, and you know that 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 word barbarian triggered me <laughs> uh, to use that language because in this on this plaque or this award that was given, you know, um, in memory of these four missionaries, the word savage was used. Mm 
Mm. And they omitted, or they, they had they took the plaque down, and this is Wheaton College, which is supposed to be Christian, right? But they took this plaque down, um, and, and the recognition, because it had the word savage in there. Because apparently that's not politically correct anymore. But that's exactly what they were. You know, I mean, what else do you call it? I, I don't know. I mean, there's probably a name for it. Cannibal. But that would be bad, too, because that means they eat people. Right? Uh, which is what they do, you know, calling a thing what it is. Right? I, wish, I wish we were all strong enough to just be able to get a hold of the carpet just go like this to yeah. get off of it. I'm, just, I'm so sick of it. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the Roman times. How nice must the world have been before the flood? Yeah. Let, let's go back, way back. And yeah, uh, bad farther. enough that, that God destroyed them. Yeah, the, the Tower of Babel. I mean, that's Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. Israel. That brings me that I always wonder, and nobody could ever answer it. In the beginning, whenever we're talking about creation and stuff, and he, he created man, and then he created Eve, and says something to me. How many hours was it before they sinned? Does anybody know? Well, I mean, well, they I, have, I think, I think they Pastor Blazek has an answer. Have a week or two, or <laughs> two days, maybe. Luther speculated on it. I don't know, but Luther, I think, somewhere says he thinks it was before the day was out. Yeah, oh. it had to be. Hmm. <laughs> Which also kind of gives a little bit of a commentary on why God had a rest on the seventh day. <laughs> think about it. Well, if that's they, the they, case, they wasted no time going to the tree. Well, if that's the case, then uh, Adam named all the animals in the world real fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my guess is there were probably fewer animals than there were. Yeah. 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 I thought you were holding up one, like one hour. <coughs> I'm just I'm paraphrasing what I remember Luther saying about it. So you can argue with him. <laughs> yeah. But that, I mean that's I, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, you know, because we're not we're not told in scripture specifically the day, but we are told that they did this and you know, I, I, I don't see any argument, you know, that, that would that would that would speak against that. You know, definitively and theologically, because yeah, what what it what it, what it can demonstrate is is the sinfulness of the human heart. You know, the the uh, you know the the how should I say the disposition. You know, even though at the time they had no sin, how easily they were tempted, how easily we are tempted. Sin of pride from the author of mm-hmm. the sin of pride. Yeah. Yeah. Good conversation. Um, so, uh, you know, verse 7, mm. in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Um, and, and by the way, you know, when, when, when Paul references don't be like the Gentiles who do not know God, well, guess what? He's saying, you know God, so don't be like them. Because God teaches you differently. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And 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 recall that it was just a, a, a chapter before, um, 
you know, when uh, when Paul says to the Thessalonians that you, you know, uh, when you heard the word of God from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. You know, and we might recall from uh, like Galatians, for example, Galatians chapter one. Let's turn to that real quick. Galatians chapter one. Uh, you know, Paul makes a strong case for his apostleship. So this is after he condemned uh, those, you know, who uh, who basically preach another gospel. Even if an angel from heaven preaches another gospel to you, let him be cursed. Let him be anathema. That's the actual word that is used in verse nine. And then in verse ten of chapter one, Paul says, "I am. Uh, for am I now speaking, or now I'm? Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't be both. It's either one or the other. You know, and and, and therefore, you know, the again, the the popular preachers are popular because they are serving not God but men. Yeah. Um, I think that's a biblical word, too, isn't it? Or it's found in the Bible, um, I should say. Concepts are learning. Yeah, right. You know, so, so it's either one or the other, right? And, and how do you know? Not only that they reference the Bible or, what, 15 translations of the Bible, um, I, I, at one time, you, you might know the name Rick Warren. I've mentioned him a couple of times. Saddleback Church, Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Christmas, Purpose Driven, etc., etc. Uh, but I, I, I remember looking at this at one point, uh, the Purpose Driven Church, or the Purpose Driven Life, actually. Um, and I was amazed because under Bible translations, it's not just one or two that he used in that book. He must have used like 15 to 20. And when you do that, that, that's, that, that should be a, a, a heads-up kind of thing. If you see so many Bible translations being used, it may just be that they are using such Bible translations not to derive from the text what it says, but to support their own you know, interpretation, their own use of the text. Uh, because you know, just we, we, we probably didn't hear it so much here with reference to Genesis 1 because we have a limited, I think we had what, like two or three different translations that were read. But not one of them was the message, which is not ideal, it's not a translation, it's, it's a, what is the term? A paraphrase. A paraphrase, yeah. Um, it's more interpretation, editorial liberties, you know, that are taken with that. Uh, but there's also other uh, translations that are crosses between translations and paraphrases. You know, there's various reasons for that. Uh, but but you can almost, uh, depending on the translation that you use or the paraphrase, it may or may not agree with you, which is not the state of, not the way to approach scripture. Do I agree with this or do I not agree with this? Or does this agree with me or is this disagreeable to me? Uh, because we are, we are not the ones, you know, uh, who determine how the Bible should be translated or used is the Bible itself by means of its own word. That's why we want to use standard translations and the like. But notice uh, in conclusion in in Galatians 1, referring to that, in verse 11 and following, uh, he kind of gives this account, Paul does, uh, of his apostleship. He says in verse 11, 
I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he, he gives detail about his former life and how, really, uh, in a nutshell, God changed him. And the message that he preached is totally uh, different than what he taught before. You know, that when he was arresting Christians, he was essentially saying that what they were, what Christians are teaching and preaching is contrary to God. And now there's a complete reversal. Now he's saying only what God has revealed in Jesus Christ is true in their true religion. Okay, uh, so, so uh, back to verse Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 8. Whoever disregards this, that is what Paul is saying, and specifically here about sexual immorality, um, let alone uh, being holy before God, um, who has called us to be this way. Uh, whoever disregards these words disregards not man, but God who gives his spirit to you. All right, again, we might think of uh, Luke 10, verse 16. Where, where Jesus says, he who receives you receives me, he says to his, to his disciples, but he who rejects you also rejects me. You know, so there's that, uh, that thread, uh, that, uh, that line uh, throughout. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll continue uh, the conversation with verse 9 next time.